Hey, it's Ryan Doyle from TDR's Guaranteed Money Podcast. We take a look at what FanDuel is doing right. Gambling icon and visionary Steve Budin joins the show and the startups that will succeed and the startups that will fail in the space. That and more as Guaranteed Money gets rolling. And welcome to TDR's Guaranteed Money. Another week, so much to talk about. But first, should let's just do it right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, we're going to let you know all views on Guaranteed Money podcast and the guests on this podcast are purely opinion. You should not try any of these. Oh, I see. I, I see. This is the problem. This is exactly what we were just talking about, Anthony. You get too cocky. You put a little yeah. bit of confidence into it. You tried to. You tried to. You tried to go too quickly. And it blows in your blows up in your face. You tried to go too quickly. You fumbled it. All views on the Guaranteed Money Podcast yep. and the guests on this podcast humbling, humbling moments. are purely opinion. You should not treat any opinions expressed by us or our guests as gambling or investment advice. The views on this podcast are solely intended to be informational and are not investment advice. I will try harder on the next pod. But that is millennial entrepreneur Anthony Verrill. Great to have you, sir. How's it going? Good. It's been, a, uh, been quite a busy week. You know, you are the person I get uh, quite a busy a week lot, so far. A lot of people will ask me the question, uh, you know, where are you now? What are you doing? That's the number one question I get. Second, you're probably trending second in my life. Who is this guy? And the women in my life will say, is he single? Now you're the freshly shaven Anthony Verrill. <laughs> look, look at the baby face going on today. I, this happens. I knew that you were going to say something. This literally happens once a year. <laughs> Come on. Where I just, I like woke up this morning and my beard, I swear to God, I only do it like once a year. You'll never see it again. Um, I literally just got sick of it and just went, bam, I just couldn't be bothered to trim it and just, uh, just, just did away with it. So we'll expect the growth to continue now throughout the next it's, couple uh, of weeks. Oh, it'll be back in like three days. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But for now, yeah, it'll be, it, it'll, it'll be back to its prominence in like three days. Uh, we have a lot. Yeah. We have a lot to come on the, uh, on the podcast today. <sighs> We're going to talk to CEO, the CEO of Kings entertainment group. This guy's a legend in the gambling space. Steve Budin is going to join us in a little bit. But I, oh, yeah. I guess we're going to we're going to start off with this. This is this is pretty wild because it shows how fickle the gambling market actually is. Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback for now, and uh, a guy who just had his engagement broken off with Shailene Woodley. That's what I'm told. That's what my wife tells me. Uh, he posts this cryptic social media message. Doesn't really say much. Talks about his undying love for his now ex-fiance. Talks about some of the love he has for his his teammates like David Bakhtiari and some of the guys in Green Bay. But the gambling market actually reacted this morning by taking down the lines for the future for, for the NFC North, saying basically we don't know where Aaron Rodgers is going to be based on this post. Now, there is some Kirk Cousins news. We'll get to that in just a second. But your initial reaction, I, I, did you read this and read anything into it? Because for me, it was just kind of like a nothing burger. I think he's go I think he's gone. I mean, I really do think he's gone. I think he goes to the 49ers. Um, I think it makes sense. I mean, he's a he's, he went to Cal. He's from SoCal. Kyle Shanahan, arguably, is the best coach in the league. Um, that team is built to win now if you put Aaron Rodgers in there. Um, I don't think he stays in Green Bay. I, I don't even know what percentage I would give it, but less than 10 that he stays in Green Bay and you see him in a Packer uniform next year. I think he's he's already got one foot out the door. See, I can't stand the guy. So for me, it's just like he's, you know, this is Aaron being Aaron, more selfish activity. I love him. I know you do, and I don't understand why. Like, this guy is as self-centered and as arrogant as they come. Yeah. 
He's all into Aaron. He's all into the Aaron brand. That's why he he's can't, great. He can't. Well, it's great if you don't like teammates. It's great if you don't like winning Super Bowls. He's only got one under his belt. It was actually the one I was at. Other than that, he's a you know, yeah. he's a lightning rod for this type of controversy. Yeah, I mean, he's known as being an asshole. I mean, he's <laughs> he is a dick. Um, I mean, you you've seen it in his in his love life, and you've seen it in his professional life. Um, tra- transpose onto both, but I mean, I really do think that he's. If he goes somewhere like San Francisco, uh, they could potentially be a very, very strong contender um, next year or even somewhere like Tampa Bay. Um, just plug and play and Brady leaves, Aaron Rodgers comes comes on down. Um, I can see that happening as well. It's interesting you say that because what I will do, and you know I like the futures market a lot, which means taking a team at the beginning of the year or even in you know the offseason right now uh, to win a division. If he signs, I'm going to tell you this, I will put my money on oh, yeah. any the other strong team in the division that he so let's say he signs for San Francisco as you mentioned I will fade him and sign and 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 go for whatever other team let's say the Arizona Cardinals in that in that case to win the division over Aaron Rodgers because I believe that strongly that he is he'll never win a Super Bowl again I made this case in an Instagram chat the other day and people were losing it on me I would put money if, if any sports book those I'm gonna eat what I think you're gonna eat those words I really do. That he's never going to win. He's never going to win another Super Bowl. If he goes, first of all, if he goes somewhere like San Francisco, he's going to. First of all, hear me up for a second. How much longer does Aaron Rodgers have? Peak prime Aaron Rodgers, two years, three maybe, two seasons, two two years top, two years tops, three if he's lucky. So the gauntlet to get to the Super Bowl, tough enough. You're telling me this guy's going to do this in two years? Brady went to Tampa Bay and won the first year. I think San Francisco is good enough to do that. I think if you put Aaron Rodgers on that San Francisco team from this last playoffs, they probably would have won the Super Bowl. Yeah, strong disagreement on that. I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan's a genius. I think the defense is, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I think that that he could make that happen. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about the big news from. I think Aaron Rodgers has a much higher probability of winning somewhere else than like Russell Wilson. About that, I don't see. I disagree with you. Why are we starting off the week in disagreement? This is good. I like it, but like Russell Wilson is a. I just don't like. He's he's loved by the like locker danger, room. I don't like dangerous. He he's loved by the locker room. I think Pete Carroll is the biggest albatross around Russ, Russell Wilson's neck. Once you lose Pete Carroll from the Seahawks, the Russell Wilson becomes a much yeah. better player. Uh, you know, people will believe in whoever the incoming coach would be with the Seahawks. Anyway, we'll leave that for now. Let's talk a little bit about DraftKings. The big story last week. Uh, I was on their earnings call. Um, I heard, you know, I heard a good deal and a good amount of spin, uh, and I think rightly so. The, the shares had tanked even before the big, the big earnings call. Uh, they didn't perform up to where they wanted to be. We're not, oh, yeah, they got crushed. They got crushed. We're not talking about a, a company that's going to be looking at, you know, potential, you know, big news revenue over the last couple in the next few years. So, what did you make of this call? What do you make of where the shares sit now in the seventeen, eighteen dollar range? Uh, you know, is this time to buy this particular dip, or is this a company now that's going to have to figure out their own narrative? You were hot last week on the word ecosystem. I heard that a lot in that call. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was going to say not to be cocky, but I mean, the CEO on that phone call literally mimicked exactly what I said um, on the show. I mean, these companies are not a function of their of their simple gambling revenue. These are platform companies that are building ecosystems to monetize this consumer base. There's a sticky consumer base that will basically buy whatever you sell to them. Um, if they can do that, then they're going to be a formidable competitor in the space. I think the stock is probably a buy. Sports wagering is not going anywhere. 
as we've harped on several times. Um, and I mean, the CEO, I, as, as far as I'm concerned, the CEO's got, got one job and it's not running the company. It's making sure that you don't sell your stock and it's making sure that you buy more stock. So, I mean, that was what the dog and pony show was on that earnings call. Um, he's got to sell the big picture blue sky to analysts um, and investors on that call. I think he did a good job and we'll see where they're at this time next year. Um, I'd be betting that they, that they trend to the upside. Um, here, all things considered. Let's look at the other side of the coin, the, the company that really is winning the race. FanDuel captured a 36% share of online grossing gaming revenue in the U.S. online sports betting market for the year. Yeah. Their new CEO, uh, Amy Howe, she's, she, you know, she's been talking a lot about the, the way they do things, the FanDuel way. And I think that this is a bit of a departure if you look at the technique uh, versus who we just mentioned in DraftKings. They tend to wrap, FanDuel does, their marketing around the product. They offer a TNT yeah. Thursdays uh, NBA same game parlay yeah. promo. Uh, and she says, listen, that's what we're going to continue to do. We're going to keep wrapping our product into the people who are watching to give them a reason to watch further. I tend to look at that as an outsider, as an observer, and think to myself, that's a pretty fucking smart way to play things. Oh, oh it's super smart. I mean, it's super smart. Her, her core pitch and their core marketing thesis is literally directly tied to consumer engagement within their product ecosystem. It's, it's the best way to market, especially with somebody with something like sports wagering. Um, I would bet that that's why they're gobbling up that market share and they'll probably continue to gobble up market share. I wouldn't be surprised if down the road you see FanDuel and DraftKings uh, merge or, or, or consolidate into one large, large sports wagering uh, platform play. Really? It's, I mean, it's, it's a hyper-fragmented space. I mean, you, like, like we've like we've talked about. I mean, I would not. I would. I'd be. I think it'd be hard pressed to find the two audiences have like immense overlap. I think people are either betting on DraftKings or they're betting on FanDuel. So, I mean, if you really wanted to monopolize the market per se, which might get shot down in antitrust, sure. I mean, those two consolidating and just merging would make perfect sense. All right. I mentioned that we're going to have a great guest. We're going to, I had an opportunity to speak with Steve Budin. He is the CEO of Kings and we're going to get into what he does in a business sense. But I also wanted to talk a little bit with him about the old days because this guy is his OG. He's got some great stories. So we'll bring you that conversation now. And then we'll come back. When we come back, I want to talk to you about some of the startups that are in the gambling space right now. Those that are looking to gain the level of notoriety of a fan duel of a DraftKings. We will do that. But my conversation with Steve Budin straight ahead as we continue here on Guaranteed Money. Hey, it's Ryan Doyle from Guaranteed Money, my next guest. I told a couple of buddies of mine, they said, uh, I'm having Steve Budin on the show. And they all looked at me and said, this guy's a legend. What do you mean you're having Steve Budin on the show? And I said, yeah, absolutely. His company, uh, he's the CEO of King's Entertainment Group. They just listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange under the symbol uh, JKPT. So jackpot, but JKPT on the CSE. I'm like, yeah, he's, you know, he's, got, he's running a successful business now. And they're all like, I want to hear the stories from yesteryear. So I want to do all of those things. Steve, welcome to Guaranteed Money. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to a fun show. Yeah, let's start off with the background. Where did it all begin for you? Well, if you, re if you read my backstory, it's kind of like the original script from The Bronx Tale. I mean, I don't know how far you want to go back, but at 12 years old, I was serving cupcakes and coffee at my Uncle Phil's crap game in his basement in Brooklyn. Guys would give me 50 and 100 to run down the street to buy him cigarettes. I was the only kid in a 10-mile radius that could walk into a convenience store at 13 years old and buy cigarettes. So, but they knew exactly the game I was working for and they weren't going to turn me down. At 15, you know, I was selling parlay cards uh, locally uh, at the, at the barber shops and at the candy stores. 
dating myself a little bit because we had candy stores back in the day. I don't know if anybody remembers that. <laughs> and uh, and then later at 16 and 17, I was grading tickets for one of the biggest bookmaking offices in in America. And um, and then I went on in my uh, in my early 20s to work for Caesar's Palace. Uh, I ran the biggest uh, a junket operation out of Miami, executive junkets. We were going back and forth to Caesar's, I would say, 35 weekends a year. So uh, pretty much almost every weekend, I had a group of VIP gamblers that I was hosting at the Caesars property. Um, and then from there, I moved to Panama, I opened up the first ever uh, offshore online sports book in uh, 1994. So when we took a bet from Minnesota was our first bet. It was the first time that a U.S. citizen had ever called an 800 number and bet overseas on a U.S. sporting event. So kind of a big moment there. Uh, eventually moved that operation to Costa Rica. In our biggest point, we had about 400 telephone operators uh, taking bets from about 10,000 gamblers on a Sunday. A pretty big operation. Um, and while everyone was you know, concerned with how they were going to get more phones in, I was already forward thinking to the Internet. Uh, had the first beta version of uh, of an online sports book and casino before anyone had ever did it. We were actually taking best via an email exchange system before we actually went transactionally live like the stock uh, market did. And they were the first to go transactionally live on the Internet. Prior to that, it was kind of like a business card to the world and a marketing uh, device. Um, and then in 19... 98, the U.S. government uh, kind of came out and said, listen, we're going to let everybody be in this business except, except Steve Budin. So, so, you know, that was kind of like selective prosecution. And, I, and, and it took me out on top. And um, I think I cried for about two years, lost a $100 million business. Um, you know, I think, I think that was a fair amount of time to cry. I think anybody else would have done that. And I, I remember sitting, I bought a big, like, $5 million house in Miami Beach after that. And I was sitting in my backyard kind of crying, you know, watching the kids run around. The kids were always like, Mommy, why daddy's crying? You know, but like, you know, she just did their, her best to explain to them that I don't know, he's a sick man. And um, you know, uh, and I'm watching my kids <laughs> and I'm watching my kids run around the backyard and I kind of had my spiritual epiphany moment, you know, where God kind of said to me, Man, it's one thing to feel you're cursed if you're actually cursed, but you got beautiful kids, you you got enough money to live the rest of your life. You're in a beautiful home in Miami Beach. Like to be blessed and to act like you're cursed is really a, a horrible thing to do. And it kind of hit me. And I said, listen, I, I, I'm either going to let this story define my life or I'm going to get up and do what I always have done. And that's build businesses and work 16 hours a day and be the best at whatever it is that I am to try to be the best at it. And uh, at that time, I went from the uh, sports book business. Uh, and I bought, um, at the time, the largest handicapping business out of New York, a gentleman named Stu Finer, a bit of a, you know, a character. It's a bit of a character. And, yeah. yeah, a bit of a character. And uh, he had about a 100-person phone operation at the time, came in, you know, saw the vision and the future of that business as taking it off the phones and putting it onto the Internet. And I kind of did what I did in the sportsbook business, taking it off the street corners and making it corporate Costa Rica, um, running it like American Express would run it. Um, and I did the same thing in the handicapping business, taking a business that lacked in credibility at the time. And I took it from the phone rooms and the guys smiling and dialing, getting on the phone, telling you they had a short thing and getting as much money as they could from you to a respectable, transparent business online with journalists and handicappers that were credible and that, that, that people could trust. Um, and, uh, and taking that industry and, and changing it from what it was to what it is today. And, I still run uh, Pick Nation and SportsAdvisors.com, 
which is by far the biggest uh, sports handicapping company in the world. And then we fast forward, you let, know, let, uh, continue. Hold on, hold on. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you, because I, I want to I kind of go back to the roots of it, because this is a, like, I mean, this is a fascinating story. There is a book written about it, believe it or not. I mean, obviously, you've got to put some of this into the pages. That it was bets, drugs, and rock and roll, right? That was your, your tone? Number one uh, book on Amazon in its category for over seven years, yes. So what did you see at an early age was the appeal? Like you're, you're standing like knee high to some of these guys. When it comes to the world of sports gambling, what did you see? What did you kind of think to yourself, man, that's, that's got something. This is going to be much bigger than the card games. It's going to be much bigger than the parlay cards I'm running. This is going to be massive. How did you see it and what did you see? You know, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to pin to pen myself as a genius with the greatest foresight in the world, but it really didn't play out that way. Me, like every other uh, bookmaker in the world, was born into it. You know, I, I grew up in a family, you know, that was uh, that was in that business. My dad was actually the real legend, you know, uh, famous uh, uh, bookmaker from from New York. Um, and, you know, I kind of grew up in that in that business. And what happened was is what it did bring to it is at some point. You know, I, uh, after working at Caesar's Palace and kind of seeing, you know, the grand, you know, grandiosity of, of, of what a gambling business could look like and how to really appeal to the masses, I knew we could only get so far working out of a basement in Brooklyn with seven guys on the phone, you know, eating bologna sandwiches and, 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 and you know, getting on the phone and writing bets down. You know what I mean? And I, and, I, and I kind of saw the bigger picture at Caesar's. And I remember going in for what I thought I was working for Ash Resnick at the time, a legend at Caesar's. I remember going into his office, you know, for what I thought was going to be a talk about a raise. And he said to me, listen, kid, you know, you're, you're a sharp kid. I, I haven't seen, you know, anyone like you in a long time. He said, but I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. He said, the only one that makes money at Caesars is Caesar. You know, and he said, and I got guys that have been working for me for 25 years. They're making 180000 a year. And at 23, that may sound like a lot of money. But believe me, when you got to support a family, you know, you make 180000 when you're 50, you'll be broke. You know, and, uh, and he said, I, I do anything, anything but this. Go get yourself a hot dog stand, you know, sit out on the strip. It's your own business, you know, and, 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 and run it. Next thing you know, you'll have 10 stands. You'll have 20 stands. You'll be in six states, you know, and you'll go public with a hot dog stand. He goes, that's better. He goes, than working here, you know, and, um, and, I, and, I, and he says, but listen, if, if it doesn't work out for you, you can come back here. You have a job anytime. Um, so I took his advice, you know, and I went back into the family business for a little while. And then I kind of saw the big picture of like, Hey, you know, is, is there a way, you know, to take this and, and, and make it bigger? Um, and at the same time, you know, go, go legit, which is like that go legit thing. Yeah. Everybody, the guys that originally went to, to Vegas and if you look, saw the movie casino, that's what they were all looking to do was to, to go legit. Right. And, um, I had a customer, a Panamanian customer at Caesars who came to me one day and said, listen, I can get a license for a local sports book. You want to run it, you know, and, you know, the law of business is you always say yes and you figure it out later. So um, I said yes. And when I got to Panama, I, you know, unfortunately, after rolling in, or, you know, rolling up an investment of a couple of million dollars with guys who didn't like to lose, you know, I got about a million in and realized that, hey, man, there's not enough rich people locally living here in Central America to really make a big business. So panicking, because how is how I going to pay these guys back their money? You know, I went in, I, you know, I, I said, can we get a, a license to deal to America? That's where the real gamblers are. And I kind of, through panic and contingency, which I think is how every big business is, is created, 
uh, through panic and contingency. You know, I went into the to the U.S. business to try to get back the money I lost locally in Panama, and um, it worked. You know, we put an ad in a couple of of, of, of handicapping schedules, and yeah. next thing you know, our phones literally blew up, and we went from ten guys on the phones to a hundred to to reaching a capacity that Panama couldn't afford us. And we moved to Costa Rica in, in sites of a of a better technological landscape to run our business. And we went from when 100 you, phones to 300. And the rest is when you talk when you talk about the idea of going legit. Obviously, decades later, the you know 30 states now, and it looks like it's well on the 30 states. The you know District of Columbia as well it looks like it's going to be well on the way to 30 plus states uh, have given the green light to sports wagering in some form or another. Did that surprise you, given your background, that they finally gave it the green light? And, you know, we'll get into a little further conversation about it. But were you surprised when that happened? It surprised me that it took that long. I mean, like, here we are in a business where you've got all this money leaving the United States, going offshore, um, and, um, and, and never returning. Because when gamblers send money offshore to gamble, um, if they win, they roll it up and they keep betting. And if they lose, they send more. So, like, he, you know, it, before when it was locally on the corners, it may not have been legal. But it stimulated the U.S. economy. You know, wise guys would get rich. They'd buy sweatsuits and go out for dinner, you know, and, and at least it stayed right there. You know, like now everybody was sending their money overseas never to have it returned. And I would think to myself, whoever's making these economic decisions in the U.S., it's scary because if that's the guy making all the decisions, we're in trouble. And anyway, you can see right now we're in trouble. You know what I mean? So like, you know. I, I, you know, they finally made it legal. Um, but before that, you know, every single European company went into business and, 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 and got rich and made, made billions of dollars. And now we circle back to the U.S. business. And, you know, whenever something goes legal in the U.S., whether it's pot, you know, marijuana or gambling, you know, I'm sure when the pot dealer gets a call from his friend and says, hey, I just went legal. It's got to be great for you. He's like, what world do you live in? How is that great for me? The little guy didn't benefit from, from marijuana going legal, and the little guy didn't benefit from, from gambling going legal because all the guys on the corner that used to operate, you know, they're, they're not the ones getting the licenses. It's the big U.S. corporations that were already so rich that they didn't know what to do with their money. But as it turns out, the joke's on them because they went into a business they're all competing with each other. They're spending a billion dollars each on marketing and losing their butt. And the reason is, is because they're all going after the $15 customer. At the end of the day, I can tell you from, from personal experience, the real sports gambler, he's not paying for dinner before his dinner. He's paying afterwards when he gets a check. And gamblers, real sports gamblers get credit. And anyone that can afford to get credit is betting two, five, a thousand, ten thousand a game. These guys are looking, the whole reason they call it the Sunday night bailout game is because guys are trying to get under the number so they don't have to pay their bookmaker. Well, if you're putting the money up in advance, there is no Sunday night bailout game. There is no bailout game at all. You've already sent your money. And that game inside the game goes away. Credit is what makes the sports betting business work. And having personal relationships with your guy where, okay, you're stuck a few thousand and you pay him 1500 and he rolls you over to the next week until you can pay more. And, and, and being able to kind of lose more than you, than you normally would if you put the money up. So now all, we see all these, these sports books in the U.S. and I don't need to name them by name and make enemies, but it's all of them. You know what I mean? And all of them all right, sold let, the dream to the investors. 
Okay, but what are they, when you look at it, though, they couldn't be doing everything wrong. So when you see it, what are they doing right in your eyes? Well, what, what they're doing right in the U.S. is, is, is the over, it's, it's not much. But, it, you know, okay. uh, it, it's the overall idea, you know, that sports gambling is not degenerative to the point where people are going out and killing themselves over it. The majority of sports gamblers are betting $15 a game. The average bet on the Internet is $11. This is cheaper than a movie. And when you add that ginormous popcorn and the soda that's this big to it, and you're at like $40, $50, let alone if you got to take your girlfriend's kids to see a kid's movie that you really don't want to see in the first place, when was the last time you left the movie theater with more money in your pocket than when you went in? Never. Yet a football game is the same hour and a half to two hours of entertainment, and you might win. And at that cost, it's affordable entertainment, something we really don't have a lot of in the U.S. So the idea and the theory that sports gambling isn't a degenerative gambling op- you know, uh, option, like a lot of them are, you know, um, it's really like entertainment. And, um, and that was correct. How they went about, look, who's the marketing guy that said, I want to be on every football game with an ad? Like, because where did he graduate from? Because if I'm watching a football game, it means two things. One, I've already got a bet on the game. And two, I've already got a bookmaker. So why do I need to see an ad from a sports book? When we ran sports books, we would never put ads during a game. Obviously, we couldn't put it on the game itself. But we right. wouldn't even run the ads on the radio show that had the game you know, broadcasting the radio show. Because we were 100% sure that the people listening didn't need us. Yet all these guys are you know, are going up against each other and outbidding each other for the most ridiculous forms of marketing. $400 million paid for Barstool Sports, a company that has got novice sports fans. How do you turn novice sports fans who watch a pizza show with a guy that's rating pizza places, you know, into, into gamblers? You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense hey, well, to me. And then ESPN... Well, hold on. Let's talk about Barstool then, because your old buddy Stu Finer does work there. He's part of that operation. Do you still talk to Stu? What do you, what do you think about that, that, whole, that whole side of it? I mean, he's got some experience there at the very least. Well, I said I bought his business. I didn't say he was an old buddy of mine. Um, you know, for me, you know, uh, he, he's a guy. He's a guy that you know walks around, and he's a reality show. I mean, he was a reality show before Dog the Bounty Hunter ever came on the air. I mean, uh, you know, he missed he missed his calling. It's not eating pizza, and it's certainly not picking games. But it is, but he is entertaining, and he is a funny guy. I'll give him that. Um, no, I, I I don't think that any gambler takes him or Dave Portnoy serious. I think if Penn Gaming had that deal to do over again, they wouldn't do it. Um, I think that ESPN and Fox, as they put on these shows, that the gamblers are unwatchable because you've got a hot blonde, you've got an ex-athlete, and you've got a journalist who never made a bet in his life, all talking to gamblers about what they should bet on. Gamblers aren't dumb. They see right through that. And and, and they, they want to – the last show to work on TV was Jimmy the Greek. Why? Because he bet the games. He, he talked the language. He, he suffered the losses right there on air with the losers. He, he, you know, he celebrated the wins with the winners. And you could tell that he was betting every game he talked about because he had that, that passion and that knowledge about gamblers that gamblers know when they're being spoken to by someone who is, is, is valid and authentic and, and knows what he's talking about. It's why when we had a show on FoxSports.com for 10 years, it was number one. It wasn't because I was a beautiful guy. Clearly, that's not the case. It was because when I spoke to gamblers, they knew I'd been there, done that, and they could rely on what I said. 
And win or lose, I was gonna, I was, we were gonna talk about it the next day. And that's what gamblers want. They have a show on TV called The Rear View Mirror. It's a show about yesterday's games. The one thing that a gambler doesn't care about is yesterday's Yesterday. games. Yeah. He wants to know today and tomorrow. Yesterday is, means nothing. It's an old Beatles song. It means nothing to a gambler. How do I make my money back? And how do, how do I make more money? Those are the only p- things people care about. It's not yesterday. 100%. And uh, a matter of fact, you do your best to forget yesterday. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even if you're winning yesterday, you want to forget it. Because you never want to bring, as a gambler, as a strategy, you never want to bring yesterday into today. You don't want to bring last week into this week because then you're always chasing the drag. You know, here's a team that looked good last week. I'll bet them this week. Well, guess what? That's in the number. So it doesn't get you anywhere. When it comes to the industry, there are a lot of players in the game right now. And you're looking at, you know, we're talking about billions of, of dollars being brought into the handle. The revenue is still... Uh, you know, very slim. We're talking about slim margins. We're always going to be talking about slim margins when we talk about the sports wagering industry, 8 to 10%. That's what we're looking at. How many of these companies, in your estimation, survive in the next couple of years before somebody eats them up, before they become consolidated, before some just say, you know what, I'm going to go back to Vegas. I'm going to go back to applying my trade and doing what I was doing out in the desert. It's not worth it for me. Well, I think to answer that question, we have to look at what these companies are really good at. It's not running a sports betting business, that's for sure. And it wasn't running a fantasy business prior to being in the sports betting business. What they're really good at is raising money. And if you continue to raise money, you can stick around a long time. You know, and what they really do is sell the dream. They ruined it for a lot of us, a lot of, you know, a lot of other gambling companies, because right now, if you look at, you know, the whole gambling sector, it certainly isn't as sexy as it was three years ago. You know, and, and that's because the numbers came out. When the numbers came out, it soured the investors because they were sold up the river. But look, they come out and they say, we got this fantasy product. It's going to be the next greatest thing. It's gambling. And we all know that fantasy players are risk adverse. They're in there playing fantasy because they don't want to take a big risk with money. They want to pay $100 and draft all year long and never have more than $100 risk. That's not, you can't, you can't make a business. So they paid $1,000 to acquire customers that at the end of the day, they only made $100 a year on. How could that work? Never could work. So, so they, they, they went into that business. They raised billions of dollars or a billion dollars, whatever they raised. And then they got crushed. But the genius to me was how they went back to those same investors and said, wait a second. Fantasy was just the way to get the toe into the water. What we got now is we got sports gambling. And we're going to right all those wrongs with sports betting. And now you, we couldn't tell you in the beginning. But now we're going to tell you it was all about credibility. You know, we got the credibility now. We're public. We're legal. We got the we got all the lobbyists. We got all the lawmakers on our side. Now we're going to come out with sports gambling and we're going to crush it. And in for a penny, in for a pound, these guys, you know, ponied up another billion. And we saw sure. just based on hype and dream, those stocks go from 28 to 70 and to as much as 110, some of them, right? And now they've all plummeted back down to reality because the reality is they can't make profit if they're going to keep spending the way they spend on marketing. When you're a bookmaker in the street, it works on a 5% margin because you're not spending money on marketing. You know, you don't have to. People find you. You run your business right. You go from 10 customers to 100 to 1,000 pretty quickly. And all you really need is that when you have no overhead, but there's some apartment with some phones in it. Right. So now all of a sudden you've got these big corporations with budgets and paying CEOs a million dollars a year, uh, you know, and, and, and astronomical budgets. 
And how do they make back the money on a $15 bet? You know how much $15 betters you have to have? So what happens next? Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you what happens next is they come up with the next dream. Hey, it was never about fantasy. It was never about sports betting. We used fantasy and sports betting to build our brand. Now it's about iGaming. We're going to bring on Casino, and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to really mop it up now. And by the way, they may be right. You know, that, that, the, the online casinos saved all the European sports books for a while when they were getting killed with soccer. You know, and then they brought the online yeah. casinos on, and all of a sudden they did make money. So, but the way these guys spend and the way these guys are guerrilla marketers, I don't know that there's room for more than one or two of them. So I would definitely bet on on some type of thinning of the of the herd. And, and, and maybe that's what they're selling their investors on, that we'll be the last one standing. If we raise enough billions, we'll outlast everyone else, and then it'll just be us. And they could learn the business along the way. It's, it's not rocket science. I mean, I'm good at it. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you, you still have time to get your PhD in rocket science. You got a lot of time. It's fine. Uh, you, know, you, men- <laughs> you mentioned marketing. If you would have saw my college dorm room, you would have thought I had a PhD in science. <laughs> uh, I mentioned you mentioned marketing uh, Kings Entertainment Group. Tell us a little bit about it for those who don't know, because I think that's worth you know having a conversation about. And you're you're a one man marketing department as it stands, so let's talk about it. Right. So I mean, Kings Entertainment at its core is a lottery, an international lottery business. You know, it's a business that, um, and I think it's important when you're in business that you know who you are and what you do, and you know who you're not. You know, when they hired me at, at, at you know, at, at Kings, it was like hiring one of the, a legend football coach, you know, who had the most winning record in football to coach your volleyball team, you know, and, and, and that's okay because at the end of the day, you have a winning standard, you know how to put a staff together, you know what it's like to win, you know what it takes and athletes are athletes and gaming, gambling is gambling. So I, so, so in that case, that was kind of like the speech I gave, I gave my employees first day two and a half years ago when I joined the company. I told them we were going to, at the time, the company was kind of flying sideways, doing okay, but in no kind of shape to go public. And we righted the ship. You know, I almost felt, I almost felt like, you know, uh, like an episode of The Fixer, where, where you come in and you, you kind of, you know, there's a restaurant that's got great potential, but it doesn't know how to operate. And you kind of, you kind of make it happen, almost like Gordon Ramsay does in Hell's Kitchen. And, um, yeah. or Kitchen Nightmare, whatever that show is. I love that show. And anyway, I, I, I come in and we get, to, we get the ship to fly straight and we do a lot of innovative things there that other, other lottery companies don't do. Um, and I'll get more into that as, as we speak. But, but first thing we did was we fixed our lottery business. We understand who we were. We sell Powerball, Mega Millions, Euro Millions, the big jackpots in Latin America, mostly where if you go down to the local bodegas, those, those lotteries aren't available to you. You're playing lotteries that normally tap out at a million, two million, three million dollar right. jackpots. And here you come with the 20, 30s, 400, a billion dollar jackpots like there were last year for a while. And, and that, that, that's our core business. Now, at the same time, when we bring people in for lottery, there's a great synergy. I know from being you know, in the casino business, there's a great synergy between lottery players and slot machine players. I mean, because lottery players are holding on for that one win in a lifetime. So to them, you know, it's a couple of hundred million to one. But they're willing willing to play that every day because when they win, if they win one time, they're good for life. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and, and, And then a slot machine also has a very big payout. And you win more at slots even than lottery. So it's very hard to say that about any other game in the casino. So there's a big there's a big synergy there between the mentality of, of, a, of a lottery player and the mentality of a slot player. 
They want um, they want big payouts, right? They want the big dream, and, uh, and and it's delivered every day. There's you know every every single lottery has been hit by someone. You know, in New York, they used to say it only takes a dollar and a dream. You know, now it takes about five dollars and fifty cents if you come to one of our sites. But at the same time, you know, you're, you're delivering that dream. And, and we started to create these other verticals, you know, uh, in, in, with, with, with casino, virtual casino, even live casino, because I feel as a as an ex blackjack player myself who's been barred from most casinos. Um, you know, you want it. You want it. You know, when when a, when a video game of blackjack pulls six cards to twenty one. I don't care. You're going to feel like this is something wrong with this. It's bad enough that sometimes it happens with the dealer, but at least you feel like you saw her shuffle. She's doing it in front of you. Maybe you it know just it's legit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's more legit than a video game. You know what I mean? When a video game you know, starts with 13 and pulls six cards to blackjack, you're like, I'm out of here. Check, please. You know, I can't. I can't suspend yeah. my belief system anymore. So we have the live blackjack, the live roulette, uh, the, you know, the live uh, poker Caribbean stud. You know, as well as as all the traditional games in over 200 slots, and we started to build a casino business with the mentality that we're not going to compete with the big casinos because, like we talked about earlier, they're overspending for customers. You know, um, but we're going to bring these lottery customers in something that they can't do because they don't offer the lottery because um, the jurisdictions that they're in don't have the licensing for that versus you know the, the jurisdictions that we're in. So bring in the lottery customers, we'll make money off of them in the lottery, and we'll move them over to the casino verticals where we can increase that profit margin. And, we, and we've done that, and we're doing that. you know. And, and, that's, and then we have Sportsbook as well, not really as a customer acquisition tool, because like I said before, most people at this point, they have their Sportsbook. But if you're right. going to cut, one thing I learned in Caesars is once we got you, we don't want to give you any reason to go to the Mirage. Right. So whatever the Mirage has in it, we're going to have at Caesars. So even if you're coming for slots, if you happen to want to play war, we'll have war. If you, if you, if you want to play right. craps, we'll have craps. If you want to go to the barbershop, we'll have a barbershop. Whatever, whatever a customer wants, we're going to have in our casino. So there's no reason for him to go someplace else. We want him to stay here and play here. So we have a sports book. It's a great sports book. It's run by Pinnacle Sports, a, you know, a legendary uh, sports sure. book. And, and it provides that sticky connectivity for our, so it's a customer retention tool for now, but we reserve the right to go into that. We certainly have the know-how, we certainly have the manpower, uh, and it, we reserve the right to go into that business in the future. As from a the customer acquisition. From, from the investor side of yeah. things, a lot of investors obviously listen and watch Guaranteed Money. And of course, if you are an investor, feel free to, to leave us a comment uh, in the comments and check them all the time. Uh, you're listed on the CSE. Uh, that's a big. That's a big deal. I know that you know you, you had an opportunity to to be part of the big launch, the the big morning uh, when you guys first got listed under JKPT. Yeah, I mean for me it's uh, it's a, it's a whirlwind of a story, starting from where I started, you know, and, uh, and and finishing up here, you know, where I am now. I know I know my dad, God bless his soul, wherever he is, up or down, is looking at me and laughing right now and saying, "Look at this kid! I can't believe he did this. Uh, he said he was going to do this, but I never really believed him." You know, and, and I always wanted to be Steve Wynn, right? Like, that was my guy. You know, anyone that can open up a hotel and call it the win and have everybody lose, that to me was impressive. That to me was very <laughs> impressive. So I always wanted to be that guy. But, uh, you know, I, I think as an investor, when you're looking at the landscape, if gambling is something that you're into, and it's always good to invest in things that you know about and that turn you on, right? And uh, if gambling is your thing and that's, that's your sector, you look at these Big companies, gambling companies in the U.S. and Europe, and you say to themselves, you say to yourselves, "Listen, 
These guys were as much as 100, 110. They're now between 20 and 50. They spent a billion dollars to try to build the business last year and really weren't able to do it. They brag about $68 million that they made in the, in the entire New York. How's that number ever going up? And how much did they spend to make that money? You know, $800 million? You know what I mean? How do did, how did, how did those numbers ever really work out? What's their pathway from $29 to, to $290? To a thousand, sure. how are they getting there? You know what I mean. I I don't I don't know. I don't see it. You know what I mean. But that's me. Then you look at us at thirty nine cents, and you say, do they have a pathway from thirty nine cents to thirty nine dollars? It's the same ratio. You know what I mean. And I, and I would say we're already you know operationally profitable. We know what we're doing. You know on the CSE that we're we're going to overcome. We raise enough money to overcome that. We're going to really spend the bulk of the money we raise on smart customer acquisition, not outbidding anyone for Google clicks. You know, we're, 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 we're putting it into resources that will grow our business. The way I've always grown my businesses, you know, you, you spread a little bit of money out, whether you're a crap player or a marketer, it's the same. If you put, if you're all in on the eight right away, how do you win? If you put a little bit on the eight and press and press and press and then take your, your action, you may have a chance to actually leave the table with more money than, than, than you came with. And that's the idea with us, trying all the different marketing avenues that we never were able to because we weren't sitting with $10 million in the bank. And let me tell you something. Yeah. Having to market without a big bankroll makes you good at marketing because you can't afford to lose. You know what I mean? You're only betting with, you're only, you know, you're only marketing with money that you have. So you're, you're, you have to be very, you know, uh, you have to be able to pivot. You have to be light on your feet. So, you know, never market with ego. So you try something. If it doesn't work, you're out in days. If it works, you let it work for a couple of weeks before you press it. And then you press it until you see that point of no return where, okay, we, we now are into the law of diminishing returns. We've gone as far as we can go with this marketing. This is the number that we got to stay at. And being able to do that on a grand scale plus forge relationships, which is really my strength. That's really what I've always done in my career. You know, the gambling business, it's the same today as it was in 1970 with all the technology. It really comes down to one thing only. How do you get your customers and how do you keep your customers? Okay, two things. How do you get your customer and how do you keep your customer? The fancy guys in the suits call that acquisition and retention, right? And that's what it's all about. And let me tell you, it's not by giving them bonuses because you give a guy a bonus and you make him play 55 million times before he can take a, a withdrawal. That doesn't work. And the next guy that comes in with a sexier bonus, you'll lose that guy. It's about having a real good product. You know, if, if you're an Italian restaurant, you can have the best marketing. But if your meatballs suck, nobody's coming back. Steve, I want, it, I want you to come back. I want you to save some of the stories because I, I want to build this relationship with you because I think we've had a just cracked the surface on a great conversation. Uh, Steve Booten, he's the King's Entertainment Group CEO. You can find them on the CSC, the Canadian Stock Exchange under the symbol JKPT. My brother, thank you so much. It's been a, a real pleasure anytime, and an honor. Anytime, now I can tell man. all these guys I talked to a legend. It was, it was great being here. Great conversation with Steve Budin. And of course, uh, yeah, you can't you can't beat legendary guys who, you know, years ago saw had the foresight to think no. about the idea of going down to Costa Rica and setting up a phone system so that people in the United States on the mainland could place wagers. And of course it shouldn't have been allowed back then. Uh, he was you know, sort of a pioneer in it all, which is fantastic. I mean, we're here today. Thanks, thanks to him. Yeah, we wouldn't have a he, show. <laughs> uh, he really helped pioneer this the, the, this formal industry. No, not at all. So, thank you. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to some of the startups. I thought this was interesting because there are companies that don't uh, necessarily get the headlines, don't necessarily get the big attention when it comes to 
uh, the world of sports wagering, and they should be talked about. There should be conversation around them. There's a company called Draft Fuel, for example. And Anthony, because you're an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm curious to see what you think of some of these, these companies and some of these plays. They make an app that facilitates what they describe as a guilt-free way to gamble, if there is such a thing. The idea is basically that you'd allocate leftover change from your credit yeah. card purchases uh, to a separate sports betting fund. Uh, they surveyed about 11,000 people, learned that 85% of them were interested in more financially responsible ways to make bets. So they announced a partnership with Discover Global Networks through their uh, through Falls Fintech, a company that's going to accelerate their program through a central bank in KC. What do you think of this idea, first of all, like this idea of a startup where I can gamble guilt-free? Because it sounds counterintuitive to me. I mean, I don't know how to say this without sounding arrogant, um, to be completely honest. But I mean... I think it sounds cheesy um, to an extent because I mean, for instance, for me to like bet, like if I put $50 on a game, like that doesn't do anything for me. Like I need to bet like 500 bucks on like a single wager for it to be like of substance to where I'm like, all right, like if I win, cool. Um, that's, that's where I get my juice. Um, a, a, a curbing your spending savings account that's like taking pennies off of your transactions. I think it's a great way to funnel people's loose change. But I mean, I just don't know how many people are going to, I mean, what are they going to bet? $5, um, $8 on like a, like a game. Um, I'd be curious to see how it, how it, I guess, scales and, and grows. But I mean, someone like myself or someone like a bunch of my friends that I know bet, like, I don't think the, the actual, quantities that would be betting would be worth it for anybody. All right. Here's another one. Wager. They started off uh, just last month, January 22nd, W-A-G-R. Uh, this allows you to bet against your network instead of the house. The platform officially launched in Tennessee. That's the only state that it's available. But you'd think if it's successful, it'd probably cross the United States and into other jurisdictions. They say that they help solve a lot of the main betting pain points, like helping friends to decide which game to bet on, understand the odds. They also handle, and this I think is important, the moving of the money so you can avoid, you know, say the two of us bet against one another. I don't have to keep sending you text messages saying, hey, yeah. are you going to pay me? The money is there. It gets moved to the winning account everybody's happy i don't mind this idea curious to what you think i think it's great i think this idea is awesome um i think this idea is great i think this idea definitely has lasting uh staying power um in in the sports wagering ecosystem and i mean this is where you put crypto um into the conversation because if you want a p2p seamless betting platform um that's what crypto is made for um something like this would be perfect for that and i would use the shit out of this um, to bet against my friends or to wager against people, especially if you could bet on anything. I mean, I'd use this while I'm playing golf. Um, we're all usually betting anyway. So, I mean, if you could spin up an interface to where you're each allocating a certain amount and then at the end of the round, just boom, it gets dispersed. I'm all for that. Because there's nothing worse than on the... This, to me, is an awesome You're idea. in the clubhouse and you've got to chase the guy down who's had one too many uh, natty lights and he's not willing to pay you the money that he's owed from you know, yeah. hole one onwards, right? Yeah, I mean, everybody's everyone's like Venmoing God knows what. And then it's yeah, it's it's super confusing. Uh, the um, I'd rather do this with like a P2P platform where we can all just place our wagers and then go. The last one's called Chalkboard. They call it a friendlier, more inclusive space to bet. I find it kind of condescending, but that's my opinion. Uh, they quote the fact that women's participation in betting went up from 28 percent to 33 percent between the years 2020 and 2021. And what they want to do is be more accessible, more information based to new betters. So uh, they would have an opportunity to check your scores, track your picks, chat with friends, sort of an all-inclusive kind of place for people to go, specifically with a female so female bent. So it's social media. We, 
<laughs> it's social media, basically. I, I don't know if women need this type of thing. I think whenever we do women-centric things in business, they tend to backfire in a sense that women say, no, I, I, can, I know how to navigate DraftKings. I know how to use FanDuel. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think women are fine accessing and using draft, DraftKings and FanDuel. Um, I don't think they need a safe space um, to be gambling or a collaborative tool uh, to be gambling. I mean, I saw the friendlier, more inclusive space to bet. I mean, betting's hard. Like betting is, it's, it's a, it's, I have, what word am I looking for? It, it, it's not a friendly, inclusive experience. Um, that's, that's just not the nature of it. And I mean, I think it is a little bit condescending to think that, that women need their own space to be uh, participating in, in, in the sector. But I mean, I think that they're, they're doing just fine without it. Um, I'd be curious to see where this one goes. Yeah, and I'd also make the argument that, you know, in these situations, you know, I'm I'm not denying that women are more interested. I would, in fact, say, yeah, the, the stats likely are very true. But I also think that when, you know, they watch TV, they've got, they scroll oh, yeah. social media, they're engaged in it enough that they know where everything else is. I'm not speaking on behalf of women, certainly wouldn't want to be as arrogant as to do that. But for me, it's like, yeah, you know, if I'm watching a game with my wife, here's a, oh, no. here's a great example. My wife put a bet on, on the weekend, uh, on the NBA slam dunk competition, uh, you know, three point competition. And she nailed Carl Anthony Towns. And she said to me, she's like, yeah. could you, uh, could you put 25 bucks on, on Carl Anthony Towns for me to win the slam dunk competition? I'm like, yeah. It's kind of crazy, but she's like, no, I read all afternoon on it. I said, okay, no problem. So, you know, if they're not asking the other person in yes, their life, I mean, that's great. They're going to find their own account. And turns out she won and I look like a complete jackass. <laughs> and she didn't have to go to chalkboard to do it. And she didn't have to go to chalkboard to do it. Last thing I want to talk about, well, you know, postmortem wise, yeah. I want to give you a little credit for um, almost nailing the golf this past weekend. You were very close with Morikawa. He was all over I, in the hunt. I know my boy, Maury, he was coming up the leaderboard. I was so happy watching Sunday. I was like, he's two strokes off the, or he was like three strokes off the lead. He's two strokes off the lead. And then he had that birdie to, to tie it. And then he missed it. And then it was just over from there. Yeah. And it looked like jo jo Joaquin Neiman though, played like a crazy person. Yeah. He is. Um, he's jacked yeah, too. He was dialed in the entire weekend. That guy's in very good shape. And yeah. just, you know, he had a couple of lulls here yep. and there, but most of it was just fantastic stuff. And I want to end with this because I think this is kind of fun. And, you know, we're not in football season. At regular football season, NFL football season. The USFL is coming back. They've got their draft tonight. You have The Rock and the XFL inking a deal uh, with the NFL to, you know, co-promote and use coaches, new equipment and what have you so that they can kind of be the guinea pig to test market for the NFL. Are you going to be watching the USFL as a sports wager? I don't care if you're watching it for entertainment. You're not you're not into this product at all. This is not going to get your money, not going to get your attention. No, not 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 to be elitist, but if I'm watching sports, I want to be watching the highest caliber competitors possible. Um, I mean, I'm all for the minor leagues. I'm all for these ancillary leagues, giving people more of an opportunity um, to, to use their skills and, and to make a living off of it. But I mean, it's not something that I watch. Like I've never watched like the CFL. Um, whoa, I've never whoa, watched whoa, like whoa, the whoa, AFL. Whoa, I'll never watch like. Do you ever want to come back to Canada again? Do you ever want to have a visit up here again? I don't mean in Toronto. Toronto, you'd be fine because people people in Toronto don't pay attention that much to the CFL yeah, and the yeah. Argos anyway. I do, but I'm a bit of an outlier. CFL's been around for well over a hundred years, pal. That's not just an amateur kind of fly by night league we're talking. Oh about. yeah, yeah. I don't. No, no. I, I respect it. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I totally respect it. I'm just saying, like, I would never watch it. And to be honest, every I, I've got a lot of Canadian friends now. Over the I've racked up over the past six years. They're uh, the, I, they've never mentioned the CFL once. 
Um, they, they, they're either uh, Seahawks fans, Bills fans. Um, I know some that are Lions fans. They usually gravitate towards that that Pacific Northwest, Northeast, and then right there in, uh, in Michigan and Illinois. Um, but I've actually never had a conversation with any of my Canadian friends about the uh, about the CFL. Okay, I promise you when the season starts and we're doing this show, God willing, we are going to have an in-depth conversation about CFL betting because there is the totals, never mind the sides, oh. but the totals are one of the best things you could ever bet on and have fun with while watching a football game. And they, I would say, eclipse the, the entertainment value when it comes to betting NFL totals. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Uh, I guess we can. Uh, we can evaluate that when it comes. Um, I definitely look forward to it. I'll probably wager some on uh, on a couple of those games. But one thing we didn't go over is NASCAR. My picks were uh, bombs on the uh, on the Daytona 500. The bushes were nowhere to be found. I think they were eleventh uh, and eighth. Now, and it's funny because I was actually going to pick Bubba Watts, Bubba Wallace, because he was one of the only other people that I recognized. Um, and I know he came in second. Yeah, he had a great race. Uh, there was a crash right before, I think, round lap eight, lap nine. Uh, one of my friends had Ricky Steinhaus Jr., so he was uh, looking good until that accident happened. But it was a great race. I texted you. I said, you know, we did a little barbecue. I did brisket burgers. I did hot sausages. Uh, and, uh, of course, in oh, yeah. in complete uh, just admiration and respect to my uh, friends down south in Florida, I cracked open a couple of tall boys of Bush, uh, Bush beer and wild turkey, and we just went at it for uh, – for the great American race, which was a good time had by all. Wild Turkey's good. It, it's not my favorite whiskey wild or bourbon, turkey, but it's wild, wild Turkey. I can get behind them. No, it'll do no, it no, a no. pinch. It's yeah. I've drank it a couple times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I've ever had a bush actually. Well, see, I would my preference would be if I'm in the United States, bush I, beer, I'm in Canada, yeah. obviously, but if I were in the United States, my preference would be Natty Light, just because I, you know, it's got that kind of NASCAR collect connection to it. It's got that kind of very easy, quick. You can drink a case in a day. It? Yeah, I mean, not not like a fine, refined beer. Not if I was going out, but if I was sitting by a pool down in Miami, oh, no, no, no. I would have I would have some Natty Lights just to yeah. nurse the day. Is all. Yeah, I just I usually go Bud Light. I like Bud Light. It's just it's just standard. We drank a hell of a lot of Natty Light in college. I mean, we used to blow through we used to blow through cases of that stuff. Um, like you couldn't believe. <laughs> I don't know how we. So Natty Light, Natty Light definitely does have its uh, place, have its spot, place in your heart. I love it, Anthony Verrill. Thank you so much, Millennial Entrepreneur. Uh, we've got a lot coming yeah. up this week. By the way, Caesars is going to have their earnings report out uh, Tuesday after the bell, so we will uh, have a full analysis on the next show and and see what's going on uh, with the folks at Caesars. But a very busy week overall, and uh, we thank you for taking the time to listen. And of course, subscribe, like. Uh, and be part of our community. Uh, we'd love to have you. Thanks, guys. Talk soon. Subscribe to Guaranteed Money wherever you get your podcasts and find out more details at thedalesreport.com. Don't forget also to check out our YouTube channel for more content.